Hey, this is Raymond Benson, and you're listening to On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast. I was always very interested to meet you. I heard so much about you from Vespa. If she hadn't killed herself, we would have had you too. Are you going to tell us who you work for? The first thing you should know about us is that we have people everywhere. I thought I could trust you. You said you weren't motivated by revenge. I'm motivated by my duty. I think you're so blinded by inconsolable rage that you don't care who you hurt. When you can't tell your friends from your enemies, it's time to go. You don't have to worry about me. Restrict Bond's movements. Put a stop on his passport. Find Bond. How long have I got? 30 seconds. That doesn't give us a lot of time. White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 440. Welcome to On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast, brought to you by White Rocket Entertainment in association with all our great friends and supporters via Patreon.com. I'm Van Allen Plexico, and I'm joined as always for this special series of review episodes by my co-host, Alan J. Porter. Welcome back aboard, Alan. Thanks, Van. Good to be back. And I think this one might be an interesting one. I think we might have a slight difference of opinion on this one. So those are always fun. It's always fun. Absolutely. Well, it will be interesting because I'll tell you two things. One, well, obviously the, the folks that listen to us regularly, and there's many that do, they will know that we reviewed really an epic Bond movie that we both very much appreciated last month with Casino Royale. I mean, there was there was not a whole lot bad we could say about it. Am I, am I correct? Correct. Okay. Um, this one, I've got to say, when I sat down at the computer about 20 minutes ago and I opened up my ranking file, I moved this movie more than one slot. I'm but, hoping in an upwards direction. But I'm not saying which direction yet. <laughs> You'll have to wait and find out. Did I, did I like it better this time? Did I like it 
worse this time. And I don't think you can like something worse. That doesn't, that's terrible grammar. But did I like it or did I dislike <laughs> it more? So we will find out as we go along because we have made it, Alan, all the way up to 2008 now. And the second of Daniel Craig's outings as James Bond in, the little, in a little movie that we like to call Quantum of Solace. Now, the interesting thing, I think, that jumps out about this movie, and we're going to do our usual things, but let me just, our little preliminary banter is, the thing that jumps out to me about this movie, and I'm going to look forward to discussing this with you as we get into it, is I would argue that in, in some, not, maybe not entirely, maybe not entirely, and we can again discuss that, but in a lot of ways, this is the most, I'm going to invent a word here, this is the most sequel-ish of all the James Bond movies. Yeah. Okay. I would agree with that. We yeah. can discuss. I like, I like sequel-ish. I think I'm going to add that to my dictionary. <laughs> That's a good one. There you go. All yeah. right. So where do we need to go first talking about Quantum of Solace? Well, you mentioned the list, so let's go with the list. Um, I didn't move it on my list, but actually having rewatched it, if I went back and did my list, I probably would move it up a couple of places. Oh, um, interesting. It's cur- currently 17. So, um, mm. you know, sort of middle, mm-hmm. just a bit below middle. Mm-hmm. I think I'd move it closer to the mid, mid rankings after yet another rewatch. Um, I will say on my Daniel Craig list ranking list, this is my number two Daniel Craig movie. Okay. Um, so I think it's the, the second best one, um, or it's number 1.5, depending on how you want to do it. I would agree with that. Uh, um, and on the Sunday Times Definitive Bond rankings, this was ranked as number twenty-one, which I think is doing it a disservice. Yeah, I was going to say I would. I, I I'm kind of. You, you do this every episode. You tell us where it ranks in this uh, this British newspaper thing, and I've I've pretty much figured out based on what you've told me and not having it in front of me, I have concluded that they have maybe four movies ranked in the top four. And the other 20 are all ranked 17 and below. Now, how is that possible in mathematics? I don't know. But I'm imagining a chart, okay, where they have like one, two, three, four, and then blank, 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 blank. And it's just blank all the way down to about 17. And at 17, they have like an eight-way tie. You know what I mean? (laughs) You get the idea. You get the idea. I get get the idea, yeah. It is interesting. I'm Actually, I'm just gonna just gonna pull it out now because this was done just when was this done? So this was done. It just it seems like every movie we mention, you say, "Well, the Times had it like 23," and I'm like, "Come on, yeah, come on." So this was done in October 2015, so around the time Spectre was coming out, and I'm just trying to see. So, do you want to know who the culprits were? Who who Mm -hmm. were on this list? Sure. Who put this list together? Okay, some guy called Raymond Benson. Ah, night hack. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, uh, AJ Choudhury, who I was actually just listening to his interview on being James Bond. Nice guy. Okay. Um, Paul Duncan, who edits the uh, the Tasha and the big coffee table book. Um, Andrew, Andrew Lysett, the bi- Fleming's biographer. Uh, Matt Gawley from James Bonding. Ben McIntyre for Your Eyes Only, who wrote the, the book about Ian Fleming called For Your Eyes Only. Kevin Mayer, a film critic at the Times. Dominic Maxwell, a theatre critic. Matt Mira, co-host of James Bonding podcast. Kate Muir, film critic. Mark O'Connell, Catching Bullets. Uh, Matthew Parker, author of GoldenEye, Where Bond Was Born. Some absolute hack called Alan J. Porter. I have no idea who he is. Um, uh, you're on there. 
Tom Sears from James Bond Radio. Hey, Tom's on there too. Cool. Uh, Robert Sellers, who wrote The Battle for Bond. David Williams, who's a comedian and presenter of the My Life with James Bond 007. Simon Winder, author of The Man Who Saved Britain, which, by the way, if you've never read it, is a really good book about uh, the cultural impact of James Bond. Uh, and Chris Wright from James Bond Radio and some movie director dude called Edgar Wright. I have no idea who he is either. <laughs> so those are the culprits. And it does actually go through one through 20 whatever. So 24. So, um, But you're right. It seems uh, other than Casino Royale, most of the ones we've discussed recently, um, that they, there's not a great love of the of the Brosnan movies, let's put it that way, no. in this list. So, yeah. So, and so they, for those folks who are wondering what list I've been talking about, that that's what it was. It was an exercise done by the Sunday Times back in 2015. It, and that's cool that you're on it, along with other people we know. Well, this is the thing. It, it seems to me that you and I agree that this one is the second best of the Craigs. And yeah. by the way, it's hard to imagine that he's been Bond longer in real time than any other actor, and yet he's only done four movies, right? Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. That is insane. Okay. But here's the thing. Um we agree that it's probably second, and yet I get the sense that probably everybody else has it fourth. Oh, I think a lot of people have it fourth, yes. Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of people who maybe have Spectre as the bottom one and maybe hmm. third. It's, it's, I think it's the, the next one we're going to do is where I think I have the most divergent opinion for most people. Oh, me so. too. Me too, absolutely. I think we're going to agree a lot more than you realize about all these. Oh, okay, cool. Absolutely, cool. So, yeah. Yeah. Well... Okay, so we have it. I didn't tell you where I have it ranked, did I? No, you did not. Or where you moved it to? It came into the it came into the evening before I rearranged them after having watched it a couple of days ago. It came into the evening ranked number eighteen. Oh, so we're not that far out. Okay. It moved over Die Another Day, and it moved over the Man with the Golden Gun into sixteenth. Okay. So, and. And I think it's because the things it's this C Casino Royale did the same thing, just a lot higher up, right? Casino Royale was was probably like my number eight or nine, and it just kept moving up into the top five and ended up around four. And it's kind of the same thing with this movie. And I think the reason is that to a lesser degree, I mean, you know, similar effect but lesser crimes. Okay, you know what I mean? In other words, yeah. both Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace. The things I didn't like about both of them jumped out at me in a fierce way when I saw it, saw them the first couple of times. But as time goes by and I see them over again and I watch the other movies around them, the things that I don't like about these movies recede into the distance and the things I do like about them, Casino and Quantum, rise to the top. That's kind of the way I look back at the old Connery and, and more ones, honestly, right? I mean, you and I know, right, that if if one of those Connery or Roger Moore ones came out today, we would have some pretty serious criticism for some of it. You know, we would be like, yeah. oh, how are they, you know, but we forgive it now. We look back at these movies from the 60s and we go, you know, I'll forgive You Only Live Twice for making no sense at all because it's so awesome. And it's to the point now that Casino Royale and, and, and in a different way, but similarly, Quantum of Solace, I'm forgiving the annoying things because of all the awesomeness. You see what I mean? Yeah. And I think as we talked about before, it's the annoying things. Once you know it's there, you can ignore it and sort of yes, it, it, it slips to the background. You don't yeah. trip so over I, it as much. Yes. Yeah. So I'm going to do the same as you. I got my list out and you said what you'd move it up above. So I, 
I said I was going to move it up two places without looking at my list or even seeing what was above it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm now looking at my list. So if I moved it two places, that would put it above Octopussy mm. and above The World Is Not Enough. It's still below The World Is Not Enough for me. but And I had... Uh, it's, I think it's the Denise Richards factor with me. Yeah, on the world that's enough. fair. That's fair. I had a real emotional wrestling match with myself moving it over a Pierce Brosnan movie. Even that Pierce Brosnan movie. Okay? I had to be like, oh, yeah. I don't... Yeah, but it's Pierce. Ah, oh, dang yeah. it. Yeah, but like I, I said, I said I'd, I'd move it a couple without seeing where it was, what was around it on the list. Um, I only just looked at it. So, so yeah, that was a bit, eh, so maybe one place, but I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There we go. But, but we're in the same ballpark, which is interesting. We really are a lot. I mean, almost exactly. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. So, um, yeah. okay. So we like to start with uh, with the backstory and stuff, that this, the inside information. So what have you got? Okay, so we usually start with the alignment to a Fleming story. And, of mm-hmm. course, other than the title, this has got absolutely nothing to do with Fleming. Right. Um, I mean, the, the title, um, The Quantum of Solace, uh, is a Fleming short story title. Um, interestingly, it's a story that Bond is not even the main character in. It's a story told to Bond over dinner. Hmm. Um, so even though it's a bot, technically a Bond short story, Bond, Bond is actually a very passive listener in the short, to, the, to the same short story, so it's interesting. Um, I still think there was better unused Fleming titles around that time. Um, mm. I mean, at that time, they still hadn't. There was the property of a lady which had been used in Octopussy, um, mm-hmm. like in the um, the Hildebrand rarity, which they then referenced in Spectre, um, and Risico, which they, they'd done that plot, but they hadn't used the title. Um, and 007 in New York, which um, they actually used part of that short story in this one. So we'll sort of get to that. Um, okay. But, um, I think there was better titles out there. Um, they could have used, I mean, even if they wanted to continue, you know, the, uh, the, the theme song, um, you know, um, another way to die. Um, Oh yeah. Would have actually probably been a good title, um, for the movie. So my understanding is basically they picked the name or they finalized the name like two days before they announced it. So I think they were bouncing names around, um, for quite a while before they, they settled on quantum. Um, so I don't I- know whether they, they named the organization because that's what they named the movie or they named right. the movie because that's what they named. I don't know which way around I, that came. So. I have thoughts about this, if I might. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, when the I remember very clearly when they announced the title, I remember saying to several of my friends, including Keith the Candido, because I remember his reply, I said, um, this is terrible. This is like the worst title ever. What does that even mean? I don't even get it. It's horrible. And he said, no, no, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. It'll make more sense, you know, over time. And it does. And I, I think it that, does. I think that, as you say, we don't know whether they name Quantum because of the title or they use the title and it fit. I think they must have, I mean, you, you got to think that, that they decided they have this title and it would make a good name for the group. The, the title obviously existed already. Yeah. So, so you have to think that they said, well, if we name the group Quantum, then suddenly that title makes sense. That, to me, is the most logical way it could have proceeded, but who knows. Now, well, there's actually an interesting quote from Daniel Craig here that I was doing the research I found Yeah. as to the way he interpret, interpreted the title. And I don't know whether this is, you know, later on and he's sort of backfilling to, you know, as right. to a reason why they feel. But anyway, he said, so this is a quote, quote from Daniel Craig. Bond is looking for his Quantum of Solace. That's what he wants. Ian Fleming said that if you don't have a quantum of solace in your relationship, you may as well give up, which is actually the point of the short story. 
Yeah. Bond doesn't have that because Vesper is being killed. Therefore, he's looking for revenge to make himself happy with the world again. Mm-hmm. So eh, it sort of fits. Yeah, that was my other thought, was that the solace, right? The quantum works for the title of the group, but solace works in that it's it's the emotional aftermath of Casino Royale's ending. Yeah. So yeah. As, as awkward of a title as it is, it does have multiple connections that I can, I can at least okay see you know so so yeah, yeah I, i'm a, i'm thing, better with it now than i used to be because of that yeah the interesting thing is i know they the you know they used to test the titles you know with with an audience and stuff that was one of the reasons you the different you know um mm-hmm. you know the reason that uh, license revoked was changed to you know um and stuff was because it didn't test well and it makes me wonder whether they they actually tested this and you know <laughs> um you know but I guess they didn't. I think they, it still feels a bit like they pulled it out of the list and slapped it on. But um, it's actually, if you think about it, it's another reworking of Moonraker to a large extent. It's the trusted, trusted philanthropist who is also a villain. Um, and we have the female undercover investigator who Bond doesn't get to go to bed with, um, which is the Moonraker novel. So it's another Drax, another shade of Drax, I think. So what's this, like the sixth time they've done something that, can be interpreted as a spin on Moonraker without actually ever doing the proper Moonraker story. <laughs> and you know, it didn't even dawn on him until you said it that he never actually sleeps with uh, Olga Kurilenko. No. Huh. no. That's really unusual for this <laughs> for this series and this character. I also like the yeah. fact that this has 250 depictions of violence more than any other Bond film, mm, even yeah. though it's the shortest Bond film. Yeah, it is the most violent, but not the highest body count. Pierce Brosnan has the record for the highest body. Yeah, count. Pierce, woo! <laughs> but this is the most violent. Yeah, and yeah. yet, and so. yet, it's and yet it's the shortest. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So, uh, so t- talking about the storyline um, depends on which interview you read. But um, I've, I've read two interviews. The one that says that basically they came up with the fact that they wanted this to be a direct sequel to Casino Royale. Um, Mm-hmm. I see. I've already forgotten the word you used. The most sequelist um, <laughs> that, that yes. they came up with that idea while they were doing Casino Royale, and it was right there from the beginning. And I've read other ones that basically said it wasn't intended to be a sequel, and we had added it, it. That was like a la- ad- that was a last second edition. Mm-hmm. Um, so it depends on who who you want to read. The the one thing is that um, we do know is that uh, the original story idea around the Bolivian water crisis, which um, amazingly was actually a real thing. Hmm. Um, there was actually riots in Bolivia. And I got. To, I'll see if I'm, I may have it later in my notes. Oh yeah. So it's a, a. It was inspired by the Bolivian Water Wars in 2000, when the water rights in Bolivia were sold to a corporation, which then sharply increased the price beyond the ability of most Bolivians to pay for it. Does that sound familiar? It sounds very familiar. Um, but interestingly, and this is the note I got: the evil plot from the movie is actually less evil than the real life one. <laughs> because the intended the pr- intended price hike talked about in the movie is actually less than the one that actually happened <laughs> in real life. Gosh. So the evil Bond villain was actually less evil than the actual evil corporation inspired the story. He's yeah. an amateur compared to the he's, real he's world. An am- <laughs> yeah. Wow. So that's, I thought that was that was interesting. That is absolutely um, mind blowing. Yeah. So, so the original story idea came up with Michael Wilson apparently while they were um, working on Casino Royale, um, and then it went to the usual scriptwriters of Purvis and Wade, um, and then Paul Haggis was brought in to do a uh, draft. 
or do a polish, which apparently he finished two hours before the Writers Guild of America went on strike. Wow. Um, so according to Craig, they then had a bare bones of a script, which Mm-hmm. Um, so, so while they were on set, basically Daniel Craig and the director Mark Forster ended up doing a lot of rewrites because under the rules you could they couldn't hire a writer to work on it um, while the strike was on, but a director and actors could contribute. So they ended up doing rewrites on set, um, and, and it shows. Pop- <laughs> yeah, and it shows in places. Um, yes. And then when the strike ended, they brought in another guy called Joshua Zetimer, who isn't credited, um, who basically did dialogue passes and adding in stuff that were actually being suggested by the actors on set and pretty much writing it each day based on what was happening on set. So, wow. um, yeah. So <laughs> a bit of a mess dialogue-wise, and that sort of comes over in, in various places. Um so, yeah, and apparently they also, it was a very short production. Um, I think it was like 18 months or something. Hmm. Um, and they only got five weeks to edit it instead of the usual 14. So Well, it came out two years after Casino Royale. They were back to the old schedule yeah. there very, very briefly before they said, blow that yeah. up. Forget that. <laughs> yeah, but interestingly, if you put the two movies together, um, based on some of the timelines I've read, the two movies together cover just two months of Bond's first year as a double O, even though they were two years apart. That um, makes sense. So Casino, Casino Royale apparently covers July and August 20, 2006, and Quantum of Solace covers the end of August, early September 2006. Whereas Skyfall happens about 25 years later, years which is later. Yeah. insane, yeah. and we'll get to that. Yeah. Um, um, one of the, the interesting, thing is, interesting thing is... Um, MI6's technology takes a hell of a leap in those two months. <laughs> Particularly, does. you know, the, 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 just the, uh, the computer interface table and stuff. So, it's like, yeah. This is a movie that um, is the other point in the Bond story where he has to avenge a woman he loved. Yeah. But what's interesting is with Tracy back in 1969, 71, A – she was completely innocent, uh, basically collateral damage of his activities for the most part, and, and her father's really for helping him. And um, we didn't get much of any real revenge. And we cert- didn't get any revenge. Story, well, yeah. we we got the mud bath thing, but that's about it. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, but no real emotional toll right. on him. Whereas with this one, she has a direct part in it, and he's pissed. Right, I mean, he yeah. he spends most of this movie still mad at her, despite I think he should know. I mean, at the end of Casino Royale, he is told she basically died to save your life, and yet he spends most of this movie still in the emotional place he was at before he found that out when he said the bitch is dead or whatever, you know. Right, yeah, and they constantly remind him of it all the way through this movie, yes. and then at the end, he actually acknowledges it. the The interesting, interesting thing about this, one of the interviews I read with uh, with the director Mark Forster, was that uh, he felt, one, he was not a James Bond fan, had never really watched the movies, um, didn't know the franchise, hmm. um, and actually only agreed to do this one after he'd watched Casino Royale. Um, was that uh, he felt that the, the the travelogue, exotic places side, the outward-looking side of Bond was like passe because traveling around the world was not such a rare thing anymore. Right. People traveled all the time. Sure. So he, he, he basically wanted to turn it inwards 
and make Bond and Bond's emotion the focus rather than the the glitzy places, which is really ironic because actually this this movie went to more was filmed in more <laughs> locations than any other Bond movie. I was just about to say I think they filmed <laughs> it in fifteen different countries. That's hilarious. Yeah, but but apparently that 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 was his his thing about focusing in on Bond and Bond's feelings. Um, well, but yeah, they, then they, they they went all over the place. I think so. it makes sense, and I think that. I think that what the I think that what's missing to me, okay, just just for me, and everybody you know reads these things differently, but for me, what's missing about that is if that's how they wanted to play Bond, is that he's told you know over and over that that don't be mad at her, she did this for you, blah 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 blah, and he just sticks with this, she betrayed me, she betrayed me business. I feel like at the end we needed more of a visual. You know, in Casino Royale, you got moments where you could see Bond realizing things and coming to grips with things. You could see that. Like when he gets in the shower with Vesper, they're no longer bickering and sparring. He's holding her. Right. You know, it's it's like a very visceral change in their relationship at that point. Whereas in this movie, I needed a moment like that where he comes to grips and says, see, because, see, here's... Here's what I, in my headcanon for this, here's how I read it. He knew the whole Quantum of Solace movie. He knew that she did that for him. He didn't want her to do it for him. I don't think he feels like he's deserving. Uh, I think he would have traded his life for hers, and he wouldn't have wanted her to trade her life for his. And so he's, he's like, I don't know, like embarrassed, ashamed, that 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 she did it and he's denied he's in denial basically you know in the stages of grief yeah. he spends this whole movie in denial yeah, and I, correct. And, and so i just i think i just need a little we figure that out now i just i think i needed the movie to hit me a little harder over the head at the end with him going i've been in denial and now i realize you know that I have to accept that she did what she thought was the right thing. I, yeah I, it didn't it doesn't give it we have to kind of figure that out for ourselves in some ways I, it's actually one of the notes I've got at the end. Um, so I'm going to jump right to the end of one of my summary notes. But I think at times this movie tries to be too clever mm-hmm. with hinting at things yeah. and not explaining it or with and plot-wise with misdirection, but we'll get to those. Yeah. But I, I, th- I think there's too much hinting, too much implied stuff. Mm-hmm. And in the middle of all the frantic action, a lot of that just gets lost. Um, yeah. And it ends up confusing things. So, um, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I think... As much as I hate things being more on the nose, I think at times this this movie did need to be more on the nose than it actually was. Yeah, and it, it doesn't help that it's trying to be several things at once. It's trying to be the rest of Casino Royale, and it's trying to show us him as a character reacting to that. It's also trying to give us the quantum storyline and Mr. White, and it's trying to give us the South American dictator storyline and Mr. Green. And it just it has a whole lot of interesting things going on. I'm just not sure they all work well together. And in fact, the the the, the parts of this movie that I have the most problem with are when the different gears from those different parts mesh together and kind of grind a little bit. And we're going to get into that yeah. as we go along too. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you on that. Okay. All right, so before before we get into the movie uh, budget. Um, this one went with a budget increase from 150 million for Casino to 200 million um, wow. for this one, and it made 586. I missed a million off here, so I know say 586 dollars. Um, <laughs> Guys, what a tr- what a bomb, man! How did they ever make another Bond movie? I think I think I think there should be an M after that. 586 million worldwide. So. 
Well, and that's, yeah, I had a note that it was the fourth highest grossing unadjusted for inflation up to that point. Obviously, Skyfall and Spectre are going to drop a hydrogen bomb on that. But yeah, so. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, um, I'm going to quote, because I was just listening to his interview, AJ Dravrit here. Um, in the interview, I just listened to him say, you know, it doesn't matter what you think about Daniel Craig's tenure as Bond. They, mm-hmm. Those four movies have been the most critically and financially successful um of the franchise so, yeah um, well critic yeah. i can but anyway um yeah but you know generally yep um all right so do we want to get into the movie off we go all right so we start with the pre-credit sequence which is we oh. start right right in the middle of the car chase which while i say the first time i watched this i was like i hate this what the hell is going on all these close-ups and the noise and the oh, fast no. cuts. this is but the, the best watch- this is the best car chase in the series but the more I watch it, the more I love it. Um, oh, I love it's it. It's beautifully choreographed. And one of the things I really love is actually Bond wincing and ducking behind the wheel, reacting yes. to what's happening around it. Yes. Rather than him just calmly soaring at the wheel, um, he's in the middle of the action. Um, yes. Most of the driving, by the way, was most of the driving, by the way, was done by Ben Collins, who was the Stig on Top Gear. Um, and if you don't, he's <laughs> written a great book about stunt driving that talks about a lot of the work he did on Quantum. Um, so. Uh, Kudos to him uh, and the team. Um, Yeah, it was awesome. Um, The Astons and the Alphas um, in the quarry. um, I love the fact that when the cars go over the edge, they don't explode. Everything acts like normal cars um, Mm -hmm. do. So, yeah, I still wince when the door gets ripped off the Aston Martin. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, it's really cool. Um, Yeah, so when I first watched it in the movie theater, it was like bang, 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 bang. I'm like, what the hell? Um, But this is going to be a constant theme throughout this movie. The more I watch it, the more I appreciate. What I agree. I'm seeing. Yeah. No, yeah. I love it. I, yeah. And the thing of it is that opening car sequence, the car chase, it's a lot shorter than I always. Yeah. I always think it goes on for ten minutes, and it really only goes on. I mean, it, it, you get this, 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 and it's basically over. And every little moment though is a gem. It's like it's, it doesn't have long tracking shots where you're waiting for the next little action sequence. It's just action sequence, action sequence, action sequence all the way through and if you blink your eyes you miss half of it it's so good and it's it i mean you feel it you feel like yeah. you're strapped in the passenger seat with him it's awesome so yes, yeah i was I actually it. just going to say the same thing it makes you feel like almost like you're sat there it, with him and it's a very <laughs> visceral experience um sight and, sound. <laughs> and then at the very yeah. at the end of it you find out that somebody was with him the whole <laughs> yeah, in the car with him. He's been making a milk. Sh- he's been making a milkshake out, out of Mr. White. Right. Yeah, he's in the trunk. Yeah, I love yeah. Mr. White so much, Alan. You don't. Yeah. I, we we're going to talk so much more as we go along, but I love yeah. Mr. White. He's one of my absolute favorite Bond bad guys. I love him. Uh, me too. Me too. Is he we're everywhere. <laughs> is he a bad guy or is he an ally? We'll get to that in a couple uh, of minutes. I'll though. get to that. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So they arrive in Siena. Mr. White's in the trunk. Uh, and then we cut to the credits. It's weird. I could have sworn the credits was after the horse race scene. I thought the horse race was the pre-credit sequence, but um, no. Um, so I think the, so. We get to the credit. Uh, completely new um, mm-hmm. design team for the titles this time. Some design team called MK12, yep. who Mark Forster worked with. Um, very stark, simplistic. We get a return of the naked ladies, the shapes in the dunes. Um, yeah, I noticed so. that. Yeah, that was interesting callback there. It's like you know, it's like when they rebooted with Craig with with Casino Royale, they stripped everything away, and starting with Casino Royale, starting with the end of Casino Royale, they slowly start 
adding stuff back. And it's like yeah. they don't want to just give us all of it at once, right? They don't want us to feel like it's 1975 or something. So they say, well, you know, here's the Bond theme. Well, here's a gun barrel, you know. Well, yeah. here's the naked ladies in silhouette. Well, and they, they just they just drip they just drip drip each little thing back until we finally get most of it all back by I guess Skyfall. Yeah, and we'll we'll talk through this as as we go through the movie. But I was actually surprised watching it around this time how many callbacks there were to other Bond movies in this one, which That's I haven't true. really. And I, unfortunately, I think there's some of the weaker points in this one, and I don't know whether. It, when they sort of, I don't know, it was deliberately doing callbacks or accidental. Um, yeah. But <laughs> at this point, it's hard to tell after 20 something movies, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So uh, with the song, Jack White and Alicia Keys. I like it. Yeah. I was going to say, this is another aspect of this. It was a grower. First time I heard it, I hated it. Um, now it's actually one of my favorites. Um, <laughs> this is a recurring theme here. Yeah, yeah. Um, I love the way it actually incorporates part of David Arnold's score. Um, yes, I noticed that. Yeah. Um, so apparently Paul McCartney was approached to do the score for this one, uh, to do the song for this one. Huh. Uh, but he declined and actually recommended Amy Winehouse. Um, and she cut a demo. Um, but then she got into legal druggy mm. issues and stuff and they um, wasn't in a fit state to record. So that was mm. Paul. So they brought in Jack White and Alicia Keys. Um, again, fairly close Um seems to be another theme of this movie. Um, they had to make a last-minute switch. Um, and interestingly, they'd actually done most of the title sequence then, so um, they sort of scored it to go with the title sequence. So, mm. okay. um, it worked all right. Out. Um, so, Sienna? Uh, David yeah, sorry? I said, so we go to Sienna, right? Oh, well, hang on a minute. I just want to pick up one more thing on the on the sort of credits on the... the oh, okay. Um, okay. The... Uh, we talked about the director being Mark Forster. The se- so interestingly, I was going through this time, and I noticed the second unit director is Dan Bradley, who had actually, his two most recent things had been Born Supremacy and Born Ultimatum. Ah. The penny drops, huh? Very <laughs> so. interesting, yes. Yeah. All right, so yeah, so we go to Siena with the interrogation. Um, we Does get not the- go well. <laughs> yeah, we get straight into the, uh, the Casino Royale stuff with... Um, dialogue from Emma about the Americans not being happy that Lashif being mm-hmm. dead. That was um, interesting. That, Yeah, that was, I mean, when he opened the trunk up and Mr. White was in there, I'm like, whoa, I've never, the continuity's giving me a whiplash, you know? I'm like, I'm not yeah, used yeah. to continuity. Whoa, Bond continuity. I'm just, I'm like, I almost fell out of, over backward in the theater. And then when they start talking about Lashif, I'm like, whoa, more Bond continuity. I can't handle all this Bond continuity. This is too much continuity for one Bond film. Time out, time out, right? So, yeah. This, and then, I mean, then she has the, the photo album of, of Vesper and Bond. I mean, originally, you know, yeah. Mr. White, it's been okay. You know, this could have been months afterwards when he'd caught Mr. White and, mm-hmm. you know, but those lines about Lashif and Vespa make it like, okay, this is like an immediate sequel. This is like yes, a continuation. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. First first time that's been done. And unfortunately, um, I, I think it sort of laid the, well, I like the fact that this one is a, you know, Casino Royale 1.5. I think it laid the path for, for what came later um, and trying to, make the whole of the bond uh whole of craig's tenure a, a continuous story arc, which, which is a whole yeah. other thing yeah it's yeah. a whole other thing we'll get into yeah it's just um, knock the crap out of sam mendez but that's a whole other thing yeah yeah we'll get, um we'll and then we get the intro of mitchell m's bodyguard um i have a problem with movies where somebody either just makes a great sacrifice or turns out to be the mole or the betrayer when it's somebody you've never met before yeah 
That's true. We're not investing. It has like zero emotional impact. It's like, okay, that random guy at the back of the room turns out to be the bad guy. It's like, so what? You know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We've not met him before. Yeah. It needed to be, well, you know what? I was going to say, if it had been like Tanner or something. Well, there was the other guy who was Villiers from the previous movie. Yeah. I mean, it could have been him. I don't know whether they couldn't get the actor back, but it could have been him, you know? Yeah. Um, that would have that would have carried way more but impact. That's just another in a long line of things where the Bond movies end up using somebody new because they couldn't get the person that would have worked better. We've, I mean, how many dozen times have we said that, though? So, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, And, you know, when M says about him being a bodyguard for the last five years, it's like, hang on a minute. We've never seen him with a bodyguard. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> so... Um, so yeah, that doesn't really have. But then we get um, uh, Mr. I love Mr. White uh, poking at the seed about the fact uh, Vesper. We we're talking about this just now. That yeah. Mr. White is the one who starts poking at the well. Vesper um, did everything for you, and mm-hmm. you know, if if things had gone the other way, we'd have we'd have had you, we'd have recruited you and stuff. Uh, which you know, it make again is sowing seeds of doubt with them. Um, I just love the mind games that Mr. White plays, even when yeah. he seems to be at a disadvantage. Oh, um, and, and I, his re- go ahead. No, go on. Well, I just want to, and, and 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 also what he says, and you may have been about to say this, but I just got to get it in because there, there's there's like five moments in this movie that I just really am anxious to say something about, and one of them is I love his I love his little he doesn't you know in 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 other Bond movies a villain like a villain at this point at least like Mister White would have said you know ha 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 we're everywhere, but he doesn't just say that he has that whole little prologue where he says we've been afraid of you right we thought you were watching everything we do we're like turn you know we think the cia and mi6 are looking over our shoulder all the time comma and you don't have a clue so in other words i like that it's not just him in the traditional villain role bragging that they're everywhere it's him admitting up front how insecure they've been only to discover that they were safe all along because, you know, the the good guys didn't even know they existed. And I like that M quickly tries to go, well, we're very quick learners. Well, you know what? Good, because we've <laughs> we've been doing one over on you for years, apparently. I thought that was really that was a lot more depth than I was expecting there. You know what I mean? That that just surprised yeah. me. Yeah, you 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 must be looking over my shoulder at my notes because that is exactly what I was just gonna <laughs> say. That's my next line in my notes that I started to say when you so uh, yeah, uh, that that whole thing is great. Uh, yes, I love that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so here's we've got people everywhere. Mitchell's betrayal leads to the uh, the chase through the tunnels and emerging into the crowd um, just after the horse race um, in the the, the Siena um, mm-hmm. in the uh, in the Plaza in Siena. Um, so cool. That the horse race is actually a real thing. Apparently, it's been going since 1630. It looked like something that's been going since 1630, yes. Yeah. Um, so the thing is, I, I, I remembered them running, coming out and emerging like in the middle of the horse race with the horses all around them. But mm-hmm. that's actually not what happens. They emerge in the crowd after the horse race is finished and then get lost, try and fight their way through the crowd. Yeah. So, uh, and I got to say, yeah. too, I like that this this continues from the parts of the first movie. This continues, and again, all the way through it, and M even remarks on it, it continues that little subplot that M sends Bond to interrogate somebody and Bond kills them. Yep. And and what's funny is some of the time he doesn't even mean to kill them 
Well, sometimes he does, and sometimes he doesn't, and sometimes he doesn't even kill him. Somebody else kills him, and he, he keeps getting for it. <laughs> he keeps getting blamed for it. it cracks me up. That just that is one of those things in these two movies that absolutely cracks me up more every time. Is how M is like if you could like you know bring him in for questioning this time and just stop killing these people and and Bond's just like oh, okay you know I got you no problem yeah yeah he never says well you know M I actually didn't because he's never going to do that right he that's the no. one thing we know especially of this Bond, is he's never going to argue, right? He never argues and you know to a contrary viewpoint. He just swallows it and goes on, soldiers on. Well, there's actually his... one point in this in this movie where he actually does Yes, Mom, um, which yeah. was like, oh, yeah. Um, yep. Yeah. So, yeah, so we end up with the, with the chase over the rooftops. And one of the interesting things I read was they actually, it, it turned out to be cheaper to do stuff in Siena and insure it than actually try and build a replica rooftop in <laughs> Pinewood. <laughs> so they actually, that, so that's the real rooftops. That's wow. not a set that they're tearing up. <laughs> but they were tearing it up and paid for it to be repaired, which was cheaper than building a, a replica. Um, Makes sense. The running across the rooftops was uh, seems to be a bit of a theme in the in the mm-hmm. Daniel Craig movies. Um, mm-hmm. Either you know running or on motorcycles across rooftops. There always seems to be a rooftop chase. Um, yep. Yep. So that, that was sort of interesting. A little bit of the parkour action there, not quite as much as last time, but he's obviously still still got some of the uh, the parkour skills, which was good to see mm-hmm. uh, that they kept that going. Um, and then sort of we end up with that bell tower construction site rope fight. Um, and you know, I do like the the tension of, of that as to both of them have dropped their guns. Who gets to the drop gun first? Can, and then we get the sort of reverse angle shot of Bond uh, firing. Mm-hmm. Um, See that in my mind, in my memory, that's where the credit that that's where the credits started was with oh, that okay. almost gun barrel like shot looking down at Bond as he fires. I think that's because it's in the trailers. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it would work. It, it makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, so he gets back, finds out Mister White has escaped. Um, then we get to London, and I'm going to say one of my pet peeves is not just a Bond movie, but they started doing it with this Bond movie. It's a modern movie thing that drives me nuts. It's the place name cards when they change locations. We don't need a big sign that says this is London when you have an establishing shot of the Thames and the London Eye and it's rainy and it's like... <laughs> and they do it with this movie every time they change location and it they do. drives me nuts. It drives me nuts in every movie that does it. It's like maybe just because of the comics background, but if you're going to change a location, you have an establishing shot that emphasis lets you, you know clear. if you're going to have an establishing shot with the eiffel tower you don't need to put paris you know if you've right. got an establishing shot yeah. or, uh, you, or you put berlin and just let people try to figure out what the hell it should come out through the dialogue yes. or a sign or something it should be well, integral to the movie it, and, you shouldn't have to like slap a big 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 you know you're now entering and, <laughs> and not only City. that but not only that alan i mean it's not only that it's that most movies would put it in little tiny print at the bottom and they slap it in giant cursive across the whole middle of the screen right and different different fancy fonts for exactly. each one exactly like, oh yeah exactly ah, yeah 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 drives me nuts um, and not not just this movie. It, it just seems to be a modern thing. I don't um, I don't yeah. hate it. I'm just saying if you've got to put it, and I understand if you're going to put it up there for the exotic locations, then for consistency's sake, I could see why they would argue that they need to put it up there for the other locations too, like London. Even though it should be obvious, they're just trying to say if we're going to you know if we're going to do it for Siena, we'll do it for London. But it doesn't have to be in a giant logo bigger than the logo of the movie itself. Just put it down at the bottom, like like they do in the Marvel movies, you know, on, on Guardians of 
the Galaxy and Infinity War and everything. They just, I mean, you know, it's it's funny that the the big loud superhero movies have it little tiny block print, whereas the James Bond movie slaps it in a giant comic book logo across the whole page, the whole screen. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, if you think about it, the and I'm going to, you know, when Bond goes, the, the you know, they they trace stuff and they say to Bond, oh, the guy's in Port au Prince, Haiti, uh, Haiti. And then Bond goes there. We just said that Bond was going to go there. You don't need a big sign that says, you know, it's clearly not in London anymore. He's clearly somewhere in the Caribbean. And he just said he was going to Haiti. So this is Haiti. You don't need a big sign. Anyway, I'll get off my soapbox on that one. It just (laughs) drives me nuts. Um, Give give your audience a little bit of, you know, intelligence. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, So, yeah, I actually have a note about what you were just talking about. Bond, uh, M getting at Bond for killing people and not bringing them in. Um, So (laughs) All the way through. uh, yeah. Yeah. And then we, we actually get the intro of Bill Tanner in this one, who's in the next couple of movies. Um, Roy Kinnear's Bill Tanner. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I like this one where the uh, the little nerdy guy, who I assume is meant to be Q, um, but the little nerdy guy comes running up to M, starts talking about forensic traces, and Tanner just goes, not in the mood. Um, uh, yeah. I didn't, even re- I didn't think him. about the fact that we don't have a Q yet. I knew yeah. it at the time, but I didn't think about it when I was rewatching this. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we have the the scientific guy with the tweed jacket and the elbow patches talking about forensic traces and stuff like that. I assume he's either meant to be Q or somebody from Q branch or something like that. But they didn't actually say, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. um, explicitly who he was. Um, so this is when we get we figure out the money from Mitchell's wallet it was part of the stuff tagged in Lashif's money laundering stuff, which traces to a stack played to a guy called Edmund Slate, who is just checked in to a hotel in Haiti. And if you don't get it, we now get a big sign that says we're in Haiti. (laughs) Um, So the interesting thing, one of the things I read um, around this one, Edmund Slate, his original name in the script was Mr. Gray. I was just going to ask you if this was Mr. Slate, like Mr. White and Mr. Green. I was wondering that. Yeah, yeah. So Mr. Gray, Mr. Green, Mr. White, and they never went with that. Mm. I don't know whether they felt it was two reservoir dogs or what, but (laughs) it was like. I don't want to be Mr. Pink, huh? Nobody wants to be Mr. Pink. Nobody wants to be Mr. Black. Everybody wants to be Mr. Um, Black. <laughs> but it would have been it would have been cool if they'd done something like that in a you know in a way that as you were going through the movie you were like oh hang on a minute mm-hmm. um, yeah so that that would have been good um, all right so this is when we then get the uh, the Bourne Identity hotel room fight yes um, couple of things around that one that again just bugged me slightly is when Bond stood outside the hotel room and he's cautiously opening the door he stood right outside the door. To to burst in on a guy who he knows is a, an assassin or connected. Every movie shows you not to do that. That you actually stand by the wall and move your arm around, put your arm around and twiddle a, the doorknob. You don't stand right behind the door because somebody can just you know right. fire through the door and sure. yeah. But anyway, um, so we end up with the, the room fight, and then I think interestingly, little character moment of basically after the, the guy's been stabbed with his in the neck with the with a knife that Bond just basically coldly waits for him to bleed out. Oh, yeah. He just sits yeah. there and watches him bleed out. He makes that bored Daniel Craig face. Yeah. yeah. That is creepy. So, yeah. Yeah. So. That's right. It's just like he's kind of going tap, 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 drumming his fingers, looking at his watch. Yeah, yeah. Creepy. Yeah. That's true. I didn't know dead that. yet? Yeah. I'm not dead yet. <laughs> I'll wait. La, la, la. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Read a, read a book, yeah. you know. Yeah, <laughs> files his nails. Um, all right, so then he goes down and picks up the the case that was reserved for uh, that Slate had held at the hotel. Mm-hmm. Um, 
um, walks out and Camille is driving by, obviously on her way to meet Slate, sees the case, picks him up. Alan, this is where it starts getting funky alarm is going off. Yeah. This is where the plot starts getting funky. So we're going to have to be very careful going forward. Now, Alan continues. Okay. (laughs) So this is the way I read it. So she thinks she's picking up some under-the-counter geology geology report that the guy who can't swim has got for her. (laughs) Okay. Um, But in fact, Green knows that she's already cheating on him or is doing... um, So he sent slate as a to kill her hit, hit, hit man to kill her yeah but so that when she picks up bond she thinks she's picking up the geology report green thinks but, she's picking up her killer but green but bond green has thinks, no idea who she is and just gets in the car anyway because it's a pretty girl right and all she, this there's all these things happening here alan and my brain can't handle it I so just, yeah, so there's like uh, three subplots, three subplots here all colliding at all once. All colliding at once, and I'm like, the I've I've watched this movie like five times, and it still doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. So again, this is where I think it's trying to be too clever. Yeah. And it. Yeah. And and then can I just like expand on that a little bit? So when she figures out that her boyfriend allegedly sent Bond, right, sent Mister Slate or whatever, to kill her. Does she flee for her life from this billionaire who's got assassins? No. She goes to see him. And confronts him about it. Walks right up. And he's like, oh, honey, ha ha, don't be silly. Oh, look, here's where I killed another person. Look, you're standing right on the edge. And I just... And that's not the only problem I have that scene, by the way, too. There's a moment where he says to her, well, you know, I might have been basically been trying to kill you, my dear... But you were only sleeping with me in order to get close to this Latin American dictator. And she's like, no, that's not true. And he points that one over there. And she looks and glares at him and as if to say, you know what? You're right. That is why. <laughs> like she basically yeah. admits everything right there. And I'm like, quit looking at him. Quit making that face. What are you doing? <sighs> yeah, but she's driven, she's, driven by, uh, she's driven by revenge and the thirst for revenge. And she's not thinking straight yeah. or whatever. I mean, yeah. 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 She so who was so, the guy underwater? I never even understood that. So he was the geologist who was putting the report together that I think basically that proved that he was stockpiling water or something. But he was the, hey, Green's got a secret. I'll sell it, you know. Um, wow. Okay. So, and then yeah. so she thought she was picking him up. Or, yeah. Or, or, yeah. Or picking him up or picking up somebody who, who was going to give her that report, maybe an intermediary guy or whatever, yeah. To blackmail Green or something or have leverage yeah, to on blackmail, him? Yeah, to have leverage or something, yeah. And then in, and, and Green thought it was his hitman picking. So why did his hitman stay at the hotel? I Okay, I guess. And how was he? So Green is like, oh, dear, take the car, go over and pick up the geologist at the hotel. And then he was going to, like, shoot her while... I did love Bond's line where the guy's like, you were supposed to, to kill her. And he goes, I missed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, that was the one part about it that actually was funny. So Yeah. yeah. All right. So, I, I'm glad I'm not the only one that just found this very opaque because, good yeah. God. Yeah. Yeah. So, to your point, we get to the docks. Uh, we get the infamous uh, extra in the background who doesn't know how to sweep. Um, I'm sure you've seen that where the, there's <laughs> actually one of the extras in the background with a brush and the brush head is like a foot off the ground uh, <laughs> while he's sweeping. 
Um, um, so um, we intro Dominic Green. Um, I'm not sure what the whole making patterns with the rubber stamps on the piece of paper was about. I don't know whether that's to show he was like OCD or something, but they never really follow up on that. No. So I don't know I what that was about. Um, and then we, and also we introduced Elvis, the most stupid henchman in any Bond movie. <laughs> he's um, the worst. He, oh, I, he's completely useless. He's um, so, he's I mean, so he, inept and terrible. I actually kind of like him just for being terrible. Yeah, and there's a bit at the end of the movie which I'd never noticed before, but which sort of plays on that. But we'll we'll get to that when we get towards the end Got of the, the movie. Got the neck brace on because uh, Miss Fields screwed him up. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then we. So I know a lot of people don't like Dominic Green as a villain because um, he's not like over the top. Um, I, again, the more I watch this, the sort of more I appreciate him as a villain. As a villain, um, he's a good French villain. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, he's just he's annoying and slimy. <laughs> I now watch for, work for a French software company, so watch for that. Watch that. Um, <laughs> Not them, of course. I don't mean them. I mean everybody else. <laughs> um, but uh, he has that quiet menace, which I think is actually all the more frightening. Um, that he sort of seems quiet and obsequious, and you know, can but, be but, sort of your best friend, and then flick to that absolute yes. insane. It yeah, there's actually, a lot of like gangster from a from like you know casino type movies in there, or, or like uh, Godfather type movies. There's a lot of that veneer yeah. of civilization, but savage right underneath the surface. And I do like that about him. I would agree that he's not my favorite villain by any means, but I like him better than a lot of them that have a lot better yeah. reputation. He, I agree. He's not a, he's not a mustache twirling ha 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 type right. villain, uh, monologuing type villain. He you know he he's he's a He's an unscrupulous businessman, villain. Out, you know, all he basically wants to do is is make money, um, mm-hmm. and doesn't matter who gets killed or that on the way. And you know, the way he just calmly tells the story about taking that when he was a kid, he you know hit somebody with an iron because they said something nasty about him, mm-hmm. um, and he's saying, telling it very calmly while looking down at the drowned body of you know the body of a guy he's just had drowned. Um, so yeah, it's it's it. I, I think he's he's actually quite an interesting multi-layered villain. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, yeah, he's not too bad. It's, yeah, it's very much an insecure megalomaniac. I think. Yeah, so, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, and then we get the shot of Bond giving his business card um, at the gate to the blood to say, "Can you give well, that to?" I was going to say, yeah. and we've and we've and we've already established that he's not even as villainous as actual water companies. <laughs> He's, no. he's like more benign than an actual water selling oh, company. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, green. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so Bond's business card is uh, his Universal Exports business card, which was a nice touch. Yeah, that uh, was cool. In the name of R. Sterling, uh, which was the same cover name they he they used in The Spy Who Loved Me, Robert Sterling. So. Was that uh, uh, wasn't that in Diamonds Are Forever? They used that. No, Sterling was from. I was thinking uh, that was the name he used in like the elevator fight in Spy Who Loved in, in Diamonds Are Forever, but maybe that was somebody else. No, that was Peter Franks. Peter Franks. There you go. Okay, that's right. Yeah, yeah. One of the many, many um, yeah. aliases he has. But yes, uh, which actually, is, yeah, I'll, I'll get to that point later. Um, but uh, yeah, so name of Robert Sterling. Now, one of the things here I thought I figured out this time and not really clicked because then Bond starts tracking their movements on the phone. So I'm wondering if the business card was actually a tracking device. Oh uh, yeah, I didn't think about that. 
Interesting. Because that's how he manages to track them to the airport and stuff later on is with on his phone. So I just yeah, mm-hmm. that sort of clicked. So yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, then he talked about the, the general. The general turns up. He gives uh, Green gives Camille to the general as a gift. She's like, "Whoa, great! I can get close to him. I can kill him." And then Bond <laughs> goes and rescues her. Um, <laughs> which I thought was an interesting thing that we actually had the, the Bond girl in the clutches of the villain, and she actually did not want to be rescued. I thought was yeah, um, yeah. And again, none of that makes a lot of sense because first he tries to kill her, and she comes back, and then he hands her over to somebody when she allegedly loves him. And she's like, okay, cool. I'm just, I could, I don't, I don't really at this point, if I'm Mr. Green at this point, I don't blame him for killing her or giving her away because she's just confusing and annoying at this point. I can't figure well, this woman out. Yeah. I mean, he was, he, I mean, he, he obviously, you know, thought she loved him and stuff and then found out she was betraying him and that she was only sleeping with him to get to the general. I think that was all sort of recent thing. And instead of having a hissy fit, he's like, well, okay, I'll just give it to the general anyway. See, um, this is why this movie's too short. We needed like three or four scenes before Bond ever met her at the hotel that explained yeah. all this. We need to set this up. They, yeah. they just yeah, the- dump all this on us at once and we're supposed to sort through it. And years and years, it's 11 years later, Alan. I still hadn't sorted it all out. Yeah, they, they're seen, yeah, this movie could have been the same length as other movies if it just explained anything. Yeah, there's too much implied here. Mm-hmm. Way too much implied, I think. Um, so, and the, so the other thing I don't get here is he. Oh no, never mind. I just I was just going to contradict myself. All right, forget it. <laughs> I was just going to say he says to the general after you finish with her, you can throw her overboard, and then she turns up later. But of course, Bond rescues her before that happens. So yeah, yeah. all right. Um, all right, so yeah, Bond rescue. I liked the bike stunt and the boat chase. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, it's a good classic, good classic car chase at the beginning, and now a good classic boat chase. That's these are yeah. these are Bond tropes you're always happy to see come around every now and then. Yeah, so all right, um, and then we switch back to London where Bond, where M makes the connection between Green and the CIA because she calls the CIA to ask them if they've got any interest in Dominic Green. And, inst- and they immediately transfer her to a station head who says no interest, which she reads as they've got a definite interest and they must be doing something with Dominic Green. So, And it's David Harbour, later of Stranger Things, with his big 70s mustache being super annoying. I didn't. I knew I'd seen him before, but when I watched it again this time, I'm like, oh, crap, it's the sheriff. <laughs> So, oh, okay, well, I don't watch Stranger Things. Okay, so oh man, uh, no, he's one of the best characters on Stranger Things. He's the he's the local sheriff that basically adopts right. the little girl with psychic powers, and so we love David Harbor. He also just played Hellboy in that recent Hellboy movie. Oh, and, okay, I've not seen and, that one yet. And here and here he is um, being he the slimy in, CIA agent. Yeah, being the slimy, being the guy that Felix has to put up with in the same room constantly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we, we we get the intro intro to Felix. Interesting that you know Felix and Bond are that close to each other, but don't know they're physically both there. Um, and Felix, you know, pretty much when they um, show him the picture of Bond on the phone, he sort of denies he knows who it is, but his boss knows it's Bond and knows Felix knows Bond, so right. he starts wondering about Felix's loyalty. So that that was quite interesting. That was interesting. Yeah, again, yeah. it's one of those things you kind of have to catch. You have to pay real close attention to catch that the first time. What's going on there? It's, it's, but yeah, yeah, because it, it all happens pretty quick. While there's another conversation going on around them, so which yeah. again is an annoying trait with this movie that sometimes there's like two or three conversations going, and the important nugget is in the one that's furthest in the background. Yeah. 
We have to pause for just a second here to thank the fine folks who keep shows like this from White Rocket Entertainment on the air. For as little as a dollar a month, you can join their ranks and keep our programs coming. That includes all of the shows that White Rocket produces. Our great patrons as of now include Matthew Flowers, Carl Von Drunker, Samuel Salvatore, and Christopher Burleson, along with Phil Amthor, Ben Spooner, William Glenn Matthews, Gary Grant, Wynn Carroll, Brian Gray, Winston Boddy, Willie Carden, Tom Anderson, Susan Trawick, Logan Chilton, Stephen Thompson, Chris Usher, Justin Bean, Steve Trawick, and Richard Stevens. And then there's Christopher Stewart, Clinton Stewart, Mickey B., William Morgan, Phil Davis, Joshua Corbett, John Otsuki, Preston Settle, Daniel Odom, A.U. Falling Up, Alchemist, Kevin Smith, Clarence Alford, Will Summerford, David Hegler, Johnny Caldwell, Theodore Gary, Reynolds Wolf, Joel Beckham, Valiant Hermes, Jacob and Robin Fleming, Clay Henson, Ann Kangian, Catherine England, George Gaston, John McCune, David Evers, Andrew Barber, Timothy, Steve Harlan, Dan Thompson, Wes Atkinson, Rich Reimer, Jared Albrick, Blake Heron, Stephen Houston, Cato the Barner, Danny Flack, Papa Todd, Russell Milling, Kevin Canoy, Don Ziederman, Ross, Lane Middleton, Shannon Butson, Randall Walker, Hugh Anderson, Shane Bailey, Mick Vijicana, Chris Thrash, Tony Perry, Alex Wynn, Josh Teal. And then there's David Simpson, Earl Ricks, Mike Finley, C.T. Wayne, Jeremy Minton, Ward M. Wade, Spanky, J.W. Rice, Jason Albrick, Kevin Mahan, Stephen Wyatt, Trevor Johnson, Auburn Elvis, Robert Drain, Brandon Smith, Royce Alvarez, Thomas Brinson, David Smiley, Matthew Wagstaff, Donnie Reynolds, Wade Carson, Ivor Evans, John Zavachin, Michael Morton, Lawrence Kane, Darren Pyle, Chris Camo, Ben Amos, Ruth and Darren Sutherland, Patrick Williams, Rob Morgan, Stephen Schuster, James Taylor, John Stubbs, Kenneth Brent Rains, Nicholas Craig, Joseph A. Miller, Mark Squire, plus Chris, there's Brant Rumble, the great Surfer Chickify, and our one-time and anonymous donors. We thank you all, and for as little as a dollar a month, you can join their ranks. Just go to www.plexico.net, P-L-E-X-I-C-O.net, or the Podbean page at secretpodcast.podbean.com. So we then get to Austria. Um, so Bond tracks Green to the opera. Um, oh. Bond gets back and steals a DJ. Uh, he looks really... Uh, not a dinner jacket, not a dish jockey. Um, <laughs> and he looks, he looks really good. Um, again, this is when Daniel Craig could still wear suits. Uh, we'll get to his sartorial decline in the other movies. Um, <laughs> but he, he looks good here. Um, and while mingling with the audience and keeping an eye on Green, he spots that certain of the guests are getting special gift bags. So he steals one and finds the Quantum Q lapel pin and the earpiece. What sort of secret organization has logo <laughs> lapel pins? Oh, I know, but he actually totally plays them, though. He totally plays them with his uh, inter- with his interrupting their their little oh, evening yeah, at the yeah. opera. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But just just before that, you know that that thing when he empties the bag and one of the things they pull out is a lapel pin. And later on, you see Dominic Green wearing one. It's like this is meant to be like the most secret criminal organization in the world that nobody knew existed, and they've got clubhouse lapel pins. All they need is a ring with a with an octopus on it. Octopus on it. Yeah, it's like really. Anyway. Um, <laughs> It's a damn cool-looking lapel pin. I actually looked up the other day to see if you could buy them, and the prop replica ones are 75 bucks. Holy cow. Yeah, which is a little too much for a lapel pin, even though I like wearing them on my business suits. That one, <laughs> I probably won't. Um, all right. So, yeah, we get the, 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 the Tosca uh, Oscar set, which, um, mm-hmm. which is brilliant. This set piece is amazing. Oh, this um, is the best part I, of the movie, I love honestly. It. It's one of the highlights of this movie, if not the highlight, yeah brilliant brilliant set piece um 
apparently it was inspired by a scene in the third man so i'm gonna have to go back and watch the third man oh, okay. um but really really well done um and then as you said you know bondy's on the scaffolding listening into the quantum board meeting and by the way i love this idea of a secret organization basically having a board meeting in a public place yeah um, i think it's very clever it's a really clever idea um and this is the first time we get to hear the word or the first mention of them being quantum um I think this would have been better left as just the organization without put without giving them the quantum name because obviously that caused problems later on yeah. or they should have just stayed with quantum yeah. and not re- not reintroduce spectre but yeah um, I, and I, by the way I think that this works a lot better than the yeah. than their meeting in spectre which we'll get to oh yeah yeah oh yeah this is a thousand times better than that yeah um so yeah I think it was a really brilliantly done scene I love the idea um Again, we get a little bit of nice deflection here because, again, they're talking about the world's most precious resource that we still think they're talking about oil at this point. So, right. um, or we're assuming that we're talking about oil. Um, and then we get to see some of the members, including Mr. White. Um, I, I love his his crack when p- the quantum members start getting up after Bond int- introduces, and he's just like, well, opera's not for everybody, or Tosca's not for everybody. <laughs> uh, yes. Oh, Mr. White. Uh, and then we get Bond... F- Come, uh, coming face to face with Green in the lobby, and we get Green's like bug eyes of like oh the eyes, down. Green's yeah. eyes. It's like he goes. <gasps> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I love it. And you got the opera music in the background, making it all grandiose and everything. Oh, it's so good. It's yeah, so I good. tell you, I love this running this running gunfight that starts out being silent, and then yes. you gradually get little bits of the uh, of the. Um, sound coming but totally contrasted with the opera score and the stuff that's happening on the stage um, in other areas and I'll get to it I don't like the constant cut, cutting backwards and forwards but here um, it works so well it really um, does the gunfire contrasted with, with the opera um, great um, which sort of ends and you sort of alluded to this earlier ends with basically Bond with the agent um, on the edge of the roof balancing him by holding his tie or his jacket yeah. Spy Who Loved Me Again yeah yeah um who is still alive when he falls, but then is killed by one of Green's men. Turns out to be a special branch guy, but it gets blamed on Bond. So yeah, I was going to say, and 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 again, M is like, you shot him and threw him off the roof, and I'm like, no, he fell off the roof, and they shot him, and Bond, of course, is just like, la la la, no no defense, yeah, no yeah, ex- whatever. He's never that's what you think yeah. he's never going to explain he's never going to argue he just that's just not his his personality is anybody else would be like well man that's not how it happened he's like nah think what you want i'm good yep yep all right um so we then switch to london where tanner's downloading all the scans that bond took of the quantum members as they were getting out we start catching the names oh, so good um and he calls emma her home she finds out about the special branch thing so she's like Restrict Bond's movements, stop his credit cards. I love that fact that she actually said stop his credit cards. That's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and, and this is what we we're going to allude to earlier, and stop his passports, all of them, or track <laughs> his passports, all of them. I love that. It's like, okay, so obviously, like Bourne, he's obviously got you know, a whole stack of back passports under different names. So right. I that was that was a nice throwaway line. It just uh, annoyed right. me, though, that she makes his job harder when inside she knows he's doing good. She has to, like, put up this front that, oh, he's he's gone rogue again, as he does at least twice in every Daniel Craig Bond movie, it seems like. And yet, you know, she not, she should know, right? She should be like, oh, he's, he's you know, Bernard, uh, Bernard Lee would have been like, I trust. And she later says, I trust my agent, you know? Yeah, yeah. But she well, the comes- thing is, you got to remember this. This is still his first. This is still the first 
yeah. couple of months of it him is. being a double O. She still doesn't know who he is. It is. Who he yeah. is. That's true. Um, but she tries to have so it both the, ways in this movie, and that, that bothers me. Yeah, she, there's that switch moment where she goes from, you know, did I make the right decision in promoting him to I trust my guy is onto something, and it's a bit too quick of a switch yeah. um, when it happens. Um, so, yeah. And you're right. I mean, this is what the second time he's gone rogue in the last two months of being a double O. Right. Um, you think if he did that, he would be get his ass pulled back to London so damn quick um, <laughs> and pulled out of the field. Um, so anyway, but instead he's off to see Mathis, the guy he falsely accused um, and now asked for him, his help and trust. Um, I like Mathis's speech here about the heroes and villains getting mixed up and you're not quite sure which one's which. <laughs> um, and he's another one who basically tells Bond the truth about Vesper, um, but Bond's still not listening. So, um, yeah, it's... Uh, I, I sort of like that. Um, again, I'm going to be real nitpicky here. This is uh, one thing, maybe just because I work with a bunch of French people now. Um, <laughs> but Mathis's dialogue, he refers to Haynes as one, or when he's talking about Haynes, the prime minister's advisor, who's a member of Quantum, mm-hmm. who was one of the photographs. He says that is one of the prime minister's closest advisors. He's a Frenchman. He wouldn't <laughs> say that. that. He would say one of your prime minister's closest advisors. So. That's right. Yeah. That's right. That's good. So so just a little dialogue bug, but it's just mm-hmm. like, ah, wrong dialogue guy. But anyway, um, then we get to Bond and Mathis on the plane um, heading to Bolivia um, with Bond drowning his sorrows by drinking six Vespa martinis. Um, <laughs> he's, drunk so mu- he's drunk so much that he's actually forgotten that it's a drink that he invented and he ends up asking the barman what it is he's actually drinking. <laughs> Uh, I, I, that just seems strange to me that, you know, Mathis says, well, there's two things. Mathis says, what are you drinking? Mathis was there when Bond created the drink. That's right. So he knows. Um, so he knows what it is. And then Bond says, I don't know, and asks the barman. And the barman repeats the recipe back, which <laughs> clearly Bond must have told him at some point. So. Yeah, I was going to say, he told him and he's repeating it back because he's right. drunk or whatever. But yeah. So the, actually picking up on a, the conversation we have with Casino Riley, there's a nice little note here. So remember I was saying that you actually can't order a Vespa as it's described in the movie or the book because Kino Lillette is no longer on sale. That's right. So when the barman's actually um, saying what it is and he says it's, you know, vodka and gin with Kino Lillette and he says, and that is not, and it makes a, a point of saying, and that is not a vermouth. Oh, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. So the point is that, Lillette Blanc, which replaced Keenan Lillette, is a vermouth. So it's like, um, I don't know, it's just it's just a little play on the mm-hmm. fact that you actually, the only way you can make a Vespa these days is with a vermouth. But apparently on British Airways jumbo jets, they have illegal um, <laughs> mixers. So, um, I did catch that. I, I just didn't get the significance of it. So that's really good. I'm, that's cool. I'm getting way too geeky about my no, 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 no. That's what we're here for. That's good. That's good. I wouldn't have known that. And I was wondering. I was curious about okay. it. Okay. All right. So we get to Bolivia and we get to Mr. Fields. Who, oh, Miss Fields. Miss Fields is one of the three or four best things about this movie. And I'm really sad that she's the one that croaks. Well, apparently they said afterwards that they wish they hadn't killed her off. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if you noticed in the credits, in the, in the movie, Bond asks her what her name is, and she just says Fields. Right. She never says Strawberry. Fu- no, I was going to say her full name is in the credits, and it's Strawberry. Right. Yeah. They never they never say that. Yeah, you, you the no, whole way through, Fields. But it is in the credits, it's mm-hmm. Strawberry Fields. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, the other thing about her, and this is what keeps jumping out at me every time I watch this movie, I'm 
and Jared will appreciate this when he listens to this episode. And well, they've already done the. That's the thing about them doing the rookie agents at, before we've done this is that they can't. Because I know he'd have had something to say about this, and and he might have already. Is I'm ninety percent sure that she has no clothes on when he meets her there, because she's got that. She's got that yeah. trench coat and boots, and you can see that there's no top under the coat, and her legs are bare under it. It's a very strange costuming choice because it does look like she is naked under a trench coat. Yeah, and then and then the next time we see her, she's in bed with Bond and has nothing on, so we don't actually see her wearing clothes other than a coat until the third time she's in a scene when she's at the party with him. Correct, and she she actually says, "I've got nothing. I don't have a dress." Yeah, I'm like, well, no kidding, you don't. Because <laughs> you walk around naked in a trench coat. I don't know. Yeah, that's what I was, I was like. So I, I, I kind of wanted some vindication on this. I'm not just trying to be a dirty old person or anything. I'm I'm genuinely puzzled as to why, like you said, I, it was just a strange wardrobe choice. Yes. I thought exactly the same thing when I was watching it. Yeah, it's so it's like, weird. Yeah. yeah. It jumps um, I, As much as I like the character and the way that Gemma Anderson played her, um, I don't like her in the storyline. I think it's a stupid subplot where she, she just – it doesn't add to the overall plot at all. Right. Um, you know. Um, she doesn't really contribute much, honestly. She doesn't contribute much. She doesn't have her own agency other than maybe causing Elvis to trip, which That's doesn't it. really play out beyond, beyond the gag, the visual gag of the, of the collar. Um, yeah. I, I wish they'd have done more with her exactly. as a character. Um, and, uh, yeah. Yeah, because so, she's, um, she's cool. I, yeah, exactly. It's not that we don't like her. It's we like her and wish they'd done something more effective with her because all she does in the entire thing is she sleeps with Bond. She acts kind of huffy like, I, you know, I can't believe I did this. And she knocks Elvis down the stairs and then she's covered in oil. That's pretty yeah. much all she contributes to the movie. And it's too bad. Yeah, which does nothing to contribute to the overall plot at all. Right. So, yeah. All right. Um, I did like the thing about... Uh, she takes them to the ratty hotel and says, we're teachers on sabbatical that would cover. And then he go bonds like no, and he switches to the luxury hotel and goes, we're teachers on sabbatical, but we just won the lottery. <laughs> That's I awesome. That. <laughs> I love it. I love that. Yeah. I yeah. Love that. So. And by the way, I did see a notice that, that, uh, that, that Miss Fields and Eva Green starred together in a production of something recently. Uh, Virginia Woolf. Virginia oh, Woolf okay. film, vi- I, don't, I can't, I don't, anyway, yeah, they, together, the two of them were in a Virginia Woolf movie, so that's cool. Yeah, um, actually, I want to go back a bit, so when they're, this is one of the, the um, things I was talking about, about the multi-layered conversation, so when they're in the cab, Mathis and Bond are having a conversation, and Mathis is also on the phone talking to the police chief, and in the background, the cab driver's rambling away, and now, even though it's subtitled. Yes, in different colors. In different colors, that cab driver's rambling stuff is actually really important plot points about the water shortage in Bolivia. <laughs> oh my gosh! I didn't. I was paying attention to him, but I didn't make that connection. And I'm like, but yeah, that's really important exposition stuff, and you buried it like three levels down in among all this other stuff that's going on. Yeah. Um, again, I think just trying to be too clever, yes. too subtle. You know, this is a Bond movie. We don't watch Bond movies for subtlety. No. Um, Hit me so. on the head, please. Yeah, yeah. I'll watch Knives Out if I want subtlety. Um, <laughs> if I'm watching Daniel Craig trying to be subtle um, or not. <laughs> All right. Um, so then we 
get to the party that you just mentioned. Um, mm-hmm. By the way, Dominic Green is a terrible, uninspiring speaker. He um, is. He's supposedly mm-hmm. a charismatic leader of this organization, of this environmental stuff, and it's like, no. Uh, that speech wouldn't, you know, <laughs> make me want to give him a check. Um, no. So, um, and then we get, again, Camille turning up, getting in his face, undermining his fundraising efforts um, by starting to tell the truth. Um, and then Bond rescues Camille from being thrown over the balcony, field trips Elvis on the stairs. <laughs> That's the one That's cool it. thing she gets to do. Yeah, yeah. Do you think that would be a good t- album title, Field Trips Elvis on the Stairs? Um, <laughs> Field trips. <laughs> um, well, that okay, way the name sorry. of the band would be Field Trips Elvis, and the it album is. title would be on the stairs. Be on the stairs, yeah. There we go. Yeah, I like yeah. it. Good cover band. All right, okay. Um, and Felix, we see Felix Slider again is in the crowd. Um, how he and Bond did not see each other, I don't know, because mm. a couple of times it looked like they were looking right at each other. But anyway, <laughs> um, so Bond leaves with Camille because he wants to go and see Green's Tierra project they've been talking about. They get pulled over by the cops, and we find Mathis is in the is in the trunk. You're gonna say, th- those are some cops who knew exactly what they were looking for from the first moment, oh, yeah. right? I mean, they they telegraphed yeah, yeah, clearly, that clearly set up by the by the police colonel. Yes, yeah. yeah. So who Mathis thought was his friend, but clearly is not because he's on the take. And this gets us to the most depressing part of this movie because we all like Mathis. Yeah. And what the crap? What? I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's there's two things in this. I mean, well, three. One that they actually write him out and he dies. I mean, what the hell? He could have been in some of the other movies. Right. Um, The whole thing that Mathis is his cover name. What's the point of that? I didn't even catch his cover name or whatever that he had. No, he doesn't say what he says. Mathis is his Bond says Mathis is, is your cover name, right? And he goes, yeah. And he was like, oh, stupid name. Oh, okay. I guess that was just you know. But why the heck do you even have to bring up that Mathis yeah. is a cover name and not his real name? Because that gets into the whole is, is James Bond a cover name and oh, it's not geez. the same guy. And it's like, oh god, you don't know, even, Mathis has a cover name. Maybe Bond is. Don't like, even ah. don't no don't no. don't open that. No, don't open oh, that can. There was no reason for that line of dialogue at all. No. Um, and I have no idea what the body dump in the dumpster is meant to say about Bond. That, I mean, and, and he says something like, he wouldn't have cared. Yeah. She says, is that how you treat your friends? And he says, I, he wouldn't care. Yeah. He, well, then, but why you throw him in the dumpster? Yeah. And it's not like they hit him. He was like, his arms and legs were hanging out the side of it. Yeah. At least put him back in the car or leave him. I don't know, but. That yeah, was just weird. And, yeah, and took his wallet, took out his money or whatever, and then just threw it back in there. Mm-hmm. That, it was just like, I mean, I understand that you're saying that, you know, he's all about the mission and he'd understand if in expediency's sake we have to move on here. But that's that's but but that's different from just tossing him in a dumpster and casually tossing his wallet in on top of him like he's garbage. That's yeah, that was about five steps further than it needed to be to be just Bond doing the expedient thing in a hurry and knowing his friend would understand. Yeah, yeah. No, I I just don't get this scene. I mean, I get the whole point of, you know, them trying to frame Bond for some, something and, you mm-hmm. know, get arrested and, you know, um, there'll well, be yeah. the body in the trunk. It didn't have to be Mathis. Um, but, yeah, just the whole, yeah. I, it, it, it seems just, a great scene a, just aggressively disrespectful beyond just what we need to do to get through the scene, get through the point in the story. It was disrespectful, not just to, well, to Mathis and Bond as yes. both characters. Uh, yes. Yeah. It just, yeah, it just sits wrong with me completely. Yes, um, absolutely. Yeah. All right. 
Um, so we get to the desert and Bond rocks up at the airport and there's a nice, nice light um, maneuverable plane that fits two people. Would be perfect, but does he hire that one? No, he hires <laughs> the lumbering the, gray the, old DC-3. He gets the bomber. Cargo plane. DC-3 cargo plane. Yeah. So, um, okay. Which is 50 years old instead of the nice modern little two-seater Piper that's sitting there. I guess he uh, couldn't okay. afford it, maybe. Didn't he? He said that he wanted you, but I gave him money. The car, or, yeah. The car yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then Bond suddenly blurts out that he knows Camille is a Bolivian secret agent. Secret Service. Where the hell did that come from? Um, Wait, it sort what? of makes sense. Who? What? Now we're so Bo- Bond blurts out that he knows Camille is Bolivian Secret Service. Okay, that's more than I knew. That's- um, but that comes comes out of completely out of nowhere. That's why I didn't get it. Okay. Yeah, he says my sources tell me you're Bolivian Secret Service. Like what sources? Who told him that? Where did they tell him? How did he? F- yeah, I didn't get that at if all. That- and there's never a moment later in the story that that matters. No, they never come back to it because it's all about her revenge about what happened to right. her family. Yeah, what the heck? Yeah. Other than the fact that maybe it's she, that's how she can be, she knows how to shoot and get into buildings and stuff. So she's got the training. Maybe that was meant to be the point. But huh. and if it was if it was important, he should have found out. It should have been. They should have shown him finding out. Right. Yeah, that doesn't make. Not, I didn't realize that. Not, not for it just to come out completely out of. If you pardon the pun, uh, left field. Um, not strawberry field, but left field. Um, <laughs> it's just, yeah, what, you know, again, to me, that's one of those lines that somebody on set said, hey, I've got an idea. Okay, we'll put it for you. Um, put it in there, yeah. 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 Well, maybe she was Bolivian Secret Service. Okay, we'll put it in the dialogue. Uh, yeah, it's that's, weird. I, 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 honestly, I never even caught that. So, oh, okay. So that's news <laughs> to me. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, so they then get uh, attacked by the Bolivian Air Force, which <laughs> apparently um, comprises of one helicopter and one training, two-seater training jet. Um, <laughs> out of, again, out of left field. I didn't know again, I didn't know who those people were. I just assumed yeah. that whenever Bond and a woman get in an airplane and are flying somewhere like that, it's going to get attacked by a helicopter or, a, or another plane. That just, that's the law. You know, he, right. could, he could be on vacation with his wife at some point, and if he well, gets in a small airplane, it's going to be attacked over a desert or over a mountain. That's just how it works. Right. Um, so actually, um, the Bolivian, I looked it up. The Bolivian Air Force actually were flying um, Lockheed two, T-33 shooting star jets up until 2017. So hmm. um, they weren't using trainers as combat aircraft. Um, they actually have a, a nice little uh, subsonic. Um, well, it is, a, it is a trainer, but it's a jet trainer, not uh, not like the one that they showed on the uh, in the movie and the other thing is um how did they get the bolivian air force to attack him because they actually haven't had the coup yet so their guys are not actually in charge of the military again i didn't even know who they were so i okay all right this is all this whole part of the movie i'm just like that's news to me i had no idea wow far out okay um and i think i I like the idea of bond doing the stall maneuver with the with the dc3 that that was cool um but it's so obviously cgi um, and then the parachute jump is clearly CGI. The free fall, se- free fall sequence was actually shot in a wind tunnel. Um, so, and then sort of CGI'd huh. onto the scene. So, okay. um, yeah, it, it, I know just that it was, a, it's a great dog fight right up until the end when the CGI, to me, the CGI clearly takes over and I'm like, oh, okay. Hmm. Um, you know, bond, bond of old, that would have been a practical, at least the parachute, the free fall would have been a practical, um, 
stamp. So yeah, and also they off they wait awfully long to pop the pair to get the parachute yeah, to get yeah, together yeah. and all. Yeah, that. I'm not I'm not I'm not I'm not sure you do a what do they call it a low altitude opening um, halo. Well, it's not a halo because it Opposite. wasn't a high altitude. Yeah, jump, low but, altitude, low opening. Yeah, low low. Yeah, but a, a low low or whatever. Maybe there's a technical <laughs> name for it. But opening it that close to the ground, I think they probably both break their legs hitting the ground at that speed. At least, if not their necks, yes. Yeah. Um, and it was a very convenient sinkhole that they happened to land yeah. in. Yeah. Oh, a, it gave them a little extra distance to fall. And B, it gave them the answers to the question they were investigating. So it really worked out really well for them. Yeah. And it'd and be very unsubtly foreshadowed when they were in the plane and flying over the mountains. And he's like, what's that? It's a sinkhole. Well, that's not going to be relevant. You know? <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's partly a sinkhole and partly a plot hole. <laughs> Thank you, ladies and all gentlemen. Right. Tip your waiter. Yeah, you'll be here all week. <laughs> all right. Um, so we get switched back to London where basically M gets told off by the minister and told to leave Green alone because they need the oil and told to pull Bond out. Um, which obviously is the setup for her deciding to go to Bolivia to get, bring Bond back on her own, because apparently she has to do that. She has to fly to NASA and mm. to the Bahamas to tell Bond off and Moscow and mm. everywhere. Everywhere, um, that's right. Yeah. Um, so we're back in the desert. We get Bond and Camille uh, telling her backstory of the general and the way he killed her family, so it sets up her stuff. Again, nothing to do with the fact she was in the Secret Service. Um, this is you know, why she's after the general. Um, and then we, on the walk out from the cave, they discover the water cache. Um, that scene reminds me of June. Tell me of your homeworld, Oosel. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, don't remind me of that one, please. <laughs> so it does. I mean, with the, with the water, the, you know, the lakes of water under the, under the desert. Um, so, uh, <laughs> all right. So um, I, I actually like this idea. I, um, the whole, I know a lot of people sort of poo-poo that, you know, oh, Dominic Green's a stupid villain because he was just after water, um, you know. And it's like, well, no, water really is the most precious resource sure. on the planet. So, I, uh, you know, I like, and that was before I knew that this was a real thing. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it, it always made sense to me. I always thought it was actually a, a really interesting uh, motivation for a villain. Um, yeah. No, I, I had no problem with that at all. That's certainly not my yeah. problem with him, no. Yeah. Um, and then we get the walk through the desert to the village and then get in on local transport. Another spy who loved me callback, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, very similar scene. Um, um, and then they're arriving back in, in the yeah, the city and walking into their posh hotel in disheveled ruined clothing with total confidence. I like that. Yeah. Um, not not quite as awesome as Brosnan and Die Another Day doing it. But, uh, no. it, it was, yeah. but yeah, I always right. appreciate when Bond can just go anywhere in any condition and just his sheer charisma yeah. makes people, you know, let him do it that anybody else they call the police or something. Yeah, I, I like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Um and this is where he gets the note from Fields telling him to run. He goes up to his room and finds them and the MI six agents in his room. Mm-hmm. And we find Fields drowned and covered in oil. Um clearly meant to be a a call back to um Goldfinger. One of the things I read yes. was the reason that they did it was Mark Forster wanted to make a um Visual statement that oil is the new gold. Um, I just thought it was crass. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, yeah, it was just now. But the thing, you know what? I'll give them credit though. At least, at least there is something to be said that that is. While it is a callback to a previous movie, a classic scene in a previous movie, it's used for a reason and it's logical and all that. As we're going to see but- in the next two movies, 
there's callback after callback after callback for no other reason than, but then just to do it. But is it? Because it was not about oil in the first place. Why oil? The oil uh, makes no sense. Yeah. Because Dominic Green said multiple times there is no oil. Well, he drowned the one guy in water, I, but I guess he's still trying to throw him off or something. I don't know. Yeah, the, 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 yeah it, it, narratively, it makes no sense yeah. in the rules that, the rules that have been set up in this story, as much as there are rules, have been set up in this story so far. The, the fact that it's oil makes no sense. Everybody else thinks it's all about oil, but there is no oil. So, And Green knows it's not about oil, so why would he make the statement? I don't know. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Yeah. I yeah. see. All right. Um, so Bond, this is where Bond basically does go rogue. Um, so we've got Bond escaping from MI6 agents after being suspended, licensed to kill anybody. Yep. Um, um, but this is also when we get the aforementioned switch in M's attitude when she suddenly, she's gone out there to get bring him in and call him back. And she's, you know, in the room, she's all about, you can't tell your friends from your enemies, blah, 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 blah. And then suddenly in the hallway, it's like, I trust my agent. He's onto something. Um, right. That's that's where I was kind of like, well, where was this five minutes ago? What has he done yeah. to earn your trust now when before right. you were leaving him stranded with no credit cards and no t- passports and whatever? Yeah, he's just he's just, just taken out a whole bunch of your, uh, your, your entourage and your other agents, and all of a sudden you're telling Bill Tanner you trust him? Yeah. And he's, do. done, he's done z- nothing to display that tr- to No. In- yeah, other than maybe, I think he said like one thing to her, which, yeah, I don't know, just didn't, it was weird. It was a very strange sudden change in, in attitude, so. Yes. Yeah. Um, so with, then we get the, uh, we get, the, we get uh, Camille's, out, Camille's outside in the little VW pickup, uh, v, in the little Beetle. Um, so we do the whole get in line again, which was sort of a nice um, bookend to the beginning of the movie. Yeah, the yeah, the little, she's always in a little vehicle. It was so weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but the weird thing is that she then disappears because um, we then get Bond is like calling Felix um, in the CIA office. And Bond says, the taxi driver told me where the CIA office was. Like, what taxi driver? You weren't in a taxi. You were with Camille. Um, all right. Um, oh, boy. I love, I love the way that Jer- um, Jeffrey Wright plays Felix's disdain, disdain for his boss. Um, well, they're sat there, you know, it's like, well, don't drink the water. And it's like, I drink bottled water. Well, the kids peed in it. That's why I have, that's why I eat the peppers. I don't, it was just, I love that backwards and forwards. That was really cool. I like that they're really establishing that those two guys work with each other, but don't really like each other or trust but each other. But absolutely hate each other. Yes. Yeah. 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 Or at least Felix com- absolutely hates his boss and his boss doesn't trust Felix. Yeah. yeah I, like- I, this is one example of how they were able to do more with less and it actually worked. Yeah. Yeah, and apparently there was going to be a lot more Felix Leiter in the, in the first few drafts. There was more for Felix to do, and um, while they were on set and doing the on-set changes, they cut um, the amount of Felix Leiter time, which is a shame. Yeah, it's a shame. Um, yeah. Um, so then Felix gives Bond the payoff location um, at the, uh, the hotel in the desert. And again, I know a lot of people have a problem with this as being the final... You know, it's not the villain's lair. It's just a, you know, an inspiring looking hotel in the middle of the desert. It's not a suitable place for a Bond finale. I actually quite like it. Um, it's originally, odd. It was, uh, it's odd though. It's an odd. I, I mean, it's it it certainly has character and personality, but it just 
it just seemed random. Like it's just this weird building out in the middle of nowhere and it doesn't really have a lot Which of... Which is exactly what it is. It's a real place. That's what it is. It's, it's a luxury mm-hmm. hotel in the middle of the desert. That's the where it was filmed. Okay. It's the driest desert on the planet. Okay. And there is a luxury hotel there. But again, um, there's no explanation of that. You're just at this weird place and you're just like, what yeah, yeah. are they? What is this? Well, it just seems to be a remote place for them to meet, for the bad guys to meet, to do their final legal document signing with a, a, a place um, it's, a, it's a hotel with an awful lot of highly explosive tanks of some well, chemical there is, <laughs> yeah there is that yeah which they they sort of say about the fact i can't remember what it is that drives the cooling or whatever but they, they make some throwaway line about why there's lots of tanks and things like that yeah but, yeah okay yeah, yeah. apparently the, the original idea was to have the um it was actually going to be in the swiss alps the climax confrontation was going to be in the swiss alps but then mark forster wanted to do a uh, fire wind earth mm. whatever the fourth one is air you know yeah. have all the elements come together and it ended up being in the desert because they were already out filming in chile pretending chile was bolivia and I mean, it's right yeah. over everybody's head and fairly enough because that doesn't make any dang sense no but anyway i think it worked quite so we get sp- uh, camille doing a little ninja spy thing yeah getting in to the the general's room um, and then Bond taking his revenge on the police colonel. Um, mm-hmm. But then the, uh, the crash of uh, the police, the, the police colonel after Bond shot him and his Land Rover crashes into a wall, which sets off an unnec- unnecessarily large explosion. Um, <laughs> and the whole building then starts to go up. So, exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, the one thing I, yeah, I mentioned earlier that was in here that I really liked about Green and Elvis is when Bond is chasing them through the hotel Green uh, at one point, Green actually stops, turns Elvis around to face Bond, and actually lifts his arm up with the gun in it and points, maneuvers Elvis's arm to like point at Bond with the gun. It's like, like he's saying to his henchman, you, you know, you're meant to protect me. Look, this is how you lift a <laughs> gun at the. Um, I've never noticed it before, but he does actually physically like point Elvis's arm in the right direction, so his gun is pointing at Bond, which I thought was really funny. That is, so, yeah. Um, and then Green gets uh, manically physical with Bond. One of the things that I read about the actor who played Dominic Green, whose name escapes me momentarily, um, he basically did not want to train and learn how to fight because he felt that Dominic Green should not know how to fight, that basically that sometimes anger and rage can power you to do things. And he wanted it to basically be like a schoolyard oh, fight. Oh, yeah. You know, that he was just flailing. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, that, and, but but with fury, he that's one of those things where he goes but, off. Yeah, it worked. Yeah, yeah, but he's flailing with fury. It's not a choreographed, you know, knockdown, drag out fight. And I yeah. think that works really well. It's right on character with Dominic Green. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah. Um, now this is one of the, the the area that I don't like the fast cuts because we have the two fights going. We have the Bond and Dominic Green fight, and then we have. The Camille mm-hmm. against the general, fighting the general in his room, and you're cutting so quickly between those two fights that you don't get any real sense of the rhythm or ebb and flow of either of them. Yeah, it is awkward a little bit. I, I think it was an interesting idea. I I don't disapprove of the idea of doing it that way, but it, in in execution, it left a little bit to be desired. I think. Yeah, I think they could have just left it on each one for a little bit longer before they cut between them. I think it was. I think the cuts was and the editing was too fast. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, so you didn't you didn't really get any feel for either of them personally. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I agree. Um, so then uh, we get Bond with Camille in the burning room. You you said about um, Bond and Vesper in the shower. This is sort of the, the equivalent moment, I think, 
mm-hmm. um, with Bond and Camille in the burning room um, and, you know, him comforting her and the realization that they're not going to get out and that she is so scared of fire because of what happened to her as a kid and stuff um, that he's actually going to shoot her rather than her suffering the fire. Um, so, you know, yeah. I, I thought that was a, a sort of nice character moment that pulled the two of them together and then obviously he sees the uh, the magic exploding canister on the wall um uh, and shoots that again we have the magic exploding pressurized canister like we had in die another day and in uh, casino royale um, yes, he did. so yeah um so they blow out the wall and they escape and as they escape they see dominic green limping into the dead oh yeah that bit where bond um basically put an axe in Dominic Green's between Dominic Green's toes. That was, that makes me wince. Oh gosh. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. They (laughs) good. Gosh. Yeah. Yeah, He's, he's in pain pretty much at that point. It's only going to get worse though. Um, So we see him limping away into the desert. Um, Bond goes and gets a car, chases him. Um, Interesting thing is that when green, he throws green out of the car and green says, I've given you everything there is about quantum. I've told you everything I know. Mm Mm-hmm. We never see the consequences of that informa- of that information. Done. Never again. It's never mentioned. Nope. Um, and by the time we get to Spectre, it all seems to have been forgotten. Because even if Quantum retroactively was a spin-off from Spectre, so some of the stuff that he said about Quantum would have applied to Spectre, or if he told them everything about Quantum, yeah. surely he would have mentioned Spectre. And the fact that Dominic Green apparently gave this whole info dump to Bond completely never mentioned again. We never see the consequences of it. All seems to have been forgotten. Quantum was a wholly owned subsidiary of Spectre Enterprises Limited. Now, yeah. CEO, Mr. White. (laughs) Exactly. And there's, there's a Mr. Black somewhere. We just Mm -hmm. never have seen him yet. And it was not Blofeld. I'm sorry. But, um, but, um, there's a movie that came out in 2010 that we never saw that does all this because, what happened, obviously, and we're going to talk about this in more detail in our next one, and I know we're not done here, but I just want to get this in real quick while we're to that point. What happened is that they made this movie in 2008. They could have made another one in 2010 that would have kept that going, maybe maybe calling it the Quantum Trilogy or something, you know, or the Vesper Trilogy or whatever. And it would have come out in 2010 and then do Skyfall in 2012. But I feel like, and you correct me if I'm wrong, you disagree, I feel like what happened was when they were getting ready to make what could have been the the completion of the Quantum Trilogy in 2010, they said, you know what? In just two years, it's the 50th anniversary of the whole franchise. Screw the whole Quantum thing. Let's just bring in Sam Mendes. Wait four years instead of two. Completely throw out the continuity we just established in these first two movies and do a completely whole new thing for the 50th anniversary. That's... To, to me, to me, the 50th anniversary was the worst thing that could have happened to these movies because it warped and distorted what, what they were doing and where they were going. I think there's a, I, I don't know. I'd have, I'd have to dig out the books and uh, um, look into it. So without zero, with zero research, um, I think there's a couple of things that impacted that. One was the 50th anniversary and the other was the, the fact that they knew that, they, that things were happening, that they could use Spectre again. Um, yeah. So, um, but why there couldn't have been, you know, if if we'd have stayed on the and 
you know, what what made it go from a two-year to a four-year cadence? I mean, there is a gap there where if they kept with a regular cadence, we would have had a 2010 movie. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I think that, I feel like they just decided to take whatever they were going to do in 2010 and roll it over and do a, you know, do Skyfall as this big mega anniversary thing, but to the detriment of, you, know, you, you get this one big movie that makes them a billion and a half dollars, but you also mess up what you've been doing the previous two movies. I want I want Bond twenty two point five from two thousand ten. Yeah, I don't even know if there was a two thousand and ten movie on on the, on the schedule. I'll, I need mm. to dig into that. But I uh, wish there had been, and I would have liked to have known what it was. I want. I'm, I'm going to go write it. I got to come up with a title, and it's going to involve <laughs> it's going to involve Mr. White, Mr. Pink, Mr. Purple. It's going to have the head of Spectre up to that point. It's going to have, um, it turns out that Strawberry Fields was alive. That was like her twin sister that was, they, <laughs> they, they switched out the bodies and she's actually been recruited into Quantum and she's an evil villain now. I, there's just so much I want to do with the 2010 movie that never <laughs> happened, man. You and I should sit yeah. down and write a comic based on this, man. That would be awesome. We should, yeah. yeah. Totally underground, though. We couldn't publish it. Yeah, and then get our asses sued. Exactly. Um, okay. <laughs> Uh, all right. So, yeah, so we end up with um, Bond leaves him in the middle of the desert with a can of oil. That was good. Um, I like that a lot. Is, it's horrible, but I like it. Which is good. Yeah, I like it a lot. Um, and then they sort of drive back to the village um, in their hydrogen-powered car, which was weird. Yeah. <coughs> um, and Camille just basically gives him a kiss and walks away. And that's um, it. Interesting. Yeah. That's the only physical contact between the two. Well, other than sort of mm-hmm. hugs and stuff, but that's the only romantic contact between the two. It's just a single kiss um, and then she walks away. They had a business like only Gala. relationship start to finish, and that was that. Just like Gala Brand in Moonraker. Um, and then we switched back to the real movie storyline um, <laughs> of Russia. Um, yes. So this, is the, so this is the bit I said was sort of like uh, they use the 007 in New York storyline. Okay. Um, so the 007 in New York storyline basically is Bond being sent to New York to warn a um, British, um, a girl working in the British government that basically her boyfriend is an enemy agent. Um, so pretty much that same storyline here because th- that's not what happens with Vesper in the book. Um, so, And this is the second to me, well, no, the car. Best part of this movie, car chase. Second best part, the opera. This is the third best part of this movie. Because right. I love when the girl gets up and looks back and says, thank you. Because yeah. she believes yeah. every word. She's totally realizes that she's being used and he's just saved her rear end. Probably saved her life. Certainly saved her career. Yeah, exactly. And she so, realizes yeah. it. And that's awesome. And that guy yeah. knows he's dead. But the thing is, he's not. I mean, Bond walks out. Because then when Bond walks out, Em's like, is he alive? And he says, yes. You know, whether he's beaten the shit out of him. That's right. Or just scared him but, uh, <laughs> or shot kneecapped him, but he's still alive. He's the first um, one, though. <laughs> he's the first one. He's the, the first one, yeah. And he's the, um, and that's Bond's closure. I mean, um, mm-hmm. you know. Other than Bond's, Mr. White, but that's a whole other thing. But yeah. Yeah, so. yeah. But yeah, you know, Bond, Bond admits that Em was right about Vespa. Um, yep. Um, one thing I don't like about this set is we get the exposition wrap-up dump from M, where she informs Bond that Green is dead. He had motor oil in his stomach. Oh, she tells about why being promoted. That. I was happy with yeah. that. I needed that because I needed some actual definitiveness in this movie of vagueness. Right. I, I get that. But it, it coming as an exposition dump from M. Yeah. 
Well, I think there was other ways they could have done it. Probably so. so yeah. 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 Um, it, it sounded like, to me, it, it sort of came across as, oh, my God, we've got these loose ends. We need to wrap <laughs> it up in the movie. We'll just have them talk about it. Yeah. Um, one of the things I really like here is the final shot of Vesper's necklace in the snow. Yes. Absolutely. Because it is actually an almost perfect recreation of the cover of the British pan edition of Honor Majesty's Secret Service, which was actually the first Bond paper, Fleming paperback I bought for myself, um, and which is the snowfield with the wedding ring half buried in the snow with a little touch of blood on the wedding ring. And that's the cover of Honor Majesty's Secret Service. And that shot of the Vespers necklace in the, sh- in the snow was just like, that's that cover. It's perfect. Nice. So I don't know if uh, somebody knew that, um, or, um, but that edition of the, of it, the, the pan British edition from the sort of seventies and seventies, that's exactly the shot. So I was like, awesome. Love that. Um, and then we get amazingly the fade to the dots and the gun barrel, um, with the bomb thing. Yes. So they move the gun barrel right to the end this time. So, but we get it. I mean, you know, we're but we, but we get it. Yeah, slowly yeah. getting pieces and pieces. Yeah, so very effective. And I again, I think that the ending of Casino, the beginning of this one, and then the ending of this one, where you have him track down and shoot Mister White, and then you have him with Mister White in the trunk of the car, and then you have him dealing with the fallout from all that with Vesper's boyfriend and everything. I mean, that to me is the really powerful story that runs through both of these movies. The other stuff is 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 interesting in different degrees, but that to me is the real power of these two movies is that the plot with him, yeah. Vesper, and the miss and the the phantom boyfriend, you know. Yeah, I mean, you could have taken the whole Bolivia, oh yeah, you know, quantum <laughs> stuff out of this and made that into a completely separate, you know, absolutely movie. Yeah. Absolutely, so, yeah. yeah. Or you could take the yeah. take the South America stuff out, add it on the Casino Royale, and make Casino Royale three hours long, and it'd be like you know Lord of the Rings or something. But it would be a great movie, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so actually, you know, overall, I, I, like I said, the, my theme with this movie is like every time I watch it, rewatch mm-hmm. it, I appreciate it more. Yeah, um, me too. I, I think it, it. I think the closer you watch this to Casino Royale, mm-hmm. the more powerful it is. Um, yeah, because it's fresh in your mind. Yes. Yeah, that two-year gap originally did not help it. No. If you watch them very closely, like you know, we watched them a month apart. I have previously. I've like literally watched them like one right after you know the sequential nights. Um, for, you know, um, and I think the closer you watch it to Casino Royale, the more powerful it is as, as a uh, as a sequel. Oh, Alan, so, the, um, the the first time I saw this in a the theater when it first came out, when they opened the trunk. I had no idea who that guy was, and I didn't right. know. I didn't know why he was driving the road that he was. I didn't know why those people were chasing him and shooting at him. I'm just like, okay, people are chasing at Bond and shooting at him. That happens all the time. Okay, whatever. Oh, look, there's a guy in the trunk. Okay, whatever. Oh, look, they're going to interrogate him. Oh, did that have something to do with Casino Royale? I can't remember. And then by the time I figured out who everybody was and what was going on, the whole thing was over. You know what I mean? It's like I'm spending the yeah. whole scene trying to figure out why I should care. And by the time I figure it out, it's over. Whereas if you watch it really close to Casino Royale, you already go in knowing that and you can enjoy what's happening more. Well, if you think about it, you've had 21 movies up until this point Yeah, that have been standalone stories with incredibly loose continuity between them. Right. You, don't, you don't need you don't need to know anything about the previous film no. when you walk in to see the new one. And then this one opens it 
as you said, it's like it's two years on, and, and in fact, it's not story-wise. It's not two years on. It's an immediate follow-up from what happened in the previous one. But you're you wouldn't not know tuned. that. No, you right. wouldn't know that, and you're not you're not tuned to to think about exactly. a Bond movie being a continuation. Now we are, exactly. but then we weren't. No, so, no, no. Um, yeah. No, I mean, no wonder it, it sort of got the flack it did because it, it was a complete change in the way that Bond stories were told. Um, and yeah. it wasn't marketed as such. I mean, it's not even like they marketed it as, I mean, with, with the new one, they're clearly marketing it as this is a direct follow-up from Spectre. Yeah, yeah, we exactly. Know that going in. This uh-huh. one, there was no marketing around, hey, this is a direct follow-up from Casino Royale. Go grab um, that DVD, kids, and yeah, watch it before yeah, you yeah. go to the theater. Yeah, oh, yeah, exactly. That would have helped yeah. so much. And the whole movie, I mean, it just makes you start distrusting the movie because, you know, as we've said repeatedly, there's so many other vague moments that you just think, okay, I guess this whole movie is just a bunch of underexplained stuff. Yeah. So yeah. it's unfortunate. But no, I agree. That it is. It, the more you understand what's going on in it, the more you can appreciate the good parts. Yeah. So I'm just going to do a couple of little other trivia bits before we sort of totally mm-hmm. wrap it up. So we talked about the fact that this is, you know, one where Bond doesn't end up with a girl. Yep. All right. It's the only film in the James Bond franchise where Bond isn't captured or taken prisoner by the villain. Oh, wow. Well, Mr. Green, I mean, uh, that's so, true. You know what? Those two things, those are those subliminal things that you know in the back of your mind. And I'm watching it and thinking, this doesn't, it doesn't. There's something missing. Yes. Yes. There's there's stuff missing. And, it, and when the movie ends, you're like, whoa, that's it? It's already over? It's, I mean, these are all reasons why this movie is short, because the stuff that's in all the other movies is not in this one, and so it's shorter. Right. And do you know what the other thing that's missing? Some kind of vehicle? No, no, at the very beginning. Well, actually, if you noticed, I've not said I've not had my IFF in Fleming Foundation moment. We oh, do not yeah. have any of the vehicles from this movie. Okay. Um, but that's not, but that's not what I'm talking about. Okay. No gimmicks. Well, there's no gadgets, but yeah. Um, other than maybe the the business card tracking device. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I don't know. What um, is it? He never says. Oh, my I never name is Bond. S- James Bond. Yeah, this this is a an, an, uh, an anomaly of a movie, isn't it? Yeah, there's a lot more about this one and a lot less. You know what I mean? Than you than yeah. you realize. Interesting. Wow. Okay. Huh. Yeah. So yeah, there's 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 a few more of the the regular tropes missing from this one, um, which again I think helps with that sort of slight sense of unease that you get mm-hmm. the first few times you watch this. Yeah, it's not quite complete, and I think it's because some of those little trope beat points that we all expect are not there. Yeah. No, I agree. Yeah, it just yeah. feels it feels kind of incomplete in a way. It feels like half of a movie. It feels like the missing, not a half. It feels like the missing third of Casino Royale with some other random stuff stuck in the middle of it. And yeah. I and I don't mean that as an insult to the whole movie because again, we like this movie and we have it move. We've moved it up. But I'm yeah. just saying, in terms of the issues we have with it, part of it is that it doesn't feel like a complete story so much as part of another movie with some other stuff added in. Yeah. Yeah, and you're right. I think they could have, you know, they could have done a, I don't know, you know, an extra half hour on Casino. I know it may, would have made it a three hour movie, but that's not much yeah. these days. I mean, they they could have, you know, done a three hour Casino Royale plus, you know. Yeah. Um, that, well, you could yeah. have ended Casino Royale with that last scene in the in the ho- in Russia. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad they did it in a way the way they did it because it gave us the great Mr. White stuff and the car chase in this movie, but. You know, you, I mean, Casino Royale already had lo- a longer ending than anything but Return of the King, but um, <laughs> but um, yeah, it's 
I don't know. I guess I wish it was the. I, I guess here's my last word on it. I wish that this movie has the stuff about Casino Royale it has, and I just wish the rest of it was of the same quality as that. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, okay. uh, and I wish they hadn't tried to be. Well, the, the first time you see it, that style of directing and editing came over as really shocking and mm-hmm. messy and stuff. But I think you can get past that once you know it's there. Um, yeah, yeah. And I, I think the other, the other thing is I, I just wish they'd taken the time, like you said, a couple of scenes here, a couple of scenes there. Some of the mm-hmm. stuff that I know they filmed, like more of Felix Leiter and stuff. I mm-hmm. wish they'd, they'd put it in there. But right up front, Mark Forster said he wanted something that was short and quick and like a bang, like a bullet. And I think he should have just taken his time a bit more. A little bit more. And he had the time, right, because it is short. Yeah. That's true. Well, yeah. Having said that, we've actually talked about the movie longer, longer. than the movie ran. <laughs> well, there's more interesting things to talk about this movie <laughs> than there are to actually see in it, so that's not, not completely surprising. Well, on that note then, I suppose uh, I'm done. Are you having any last thoughts about it? I think I've said my piece on it. No, I think I've said my piece too. Yeah. All right. Well, in a, in just a few short weeks, we will reconvene and we will look at the 50th anniversary movie, the the uh, the the I think the most profitable movie probably of the whole series, the one that just shattered everybody's expectations of what a Bond movie could do at the box office, and that would be Skyfall, a movie that we were supposed to love, and I'm very curious to see how our uh, reactions uh, compare. So we will talk about that in just a few short weeks, Stone. Looking forward to it. And uh, happy holidays, fam. Happy holidays holidays to all our listeners and Patreon supporters. Absolutely. We appreciate you all. And uh, we're going to get on out of here. But On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast will return. This has been a White Rocket Entertainment production.